namo tassa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa namo tassa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Udhang dhammang sankhang namasami. <clears throat> so this evening is the final talk before I do my own 15-day retreat in my cave. And as I mentioned before the chanting, it's the first uh, real bit of hay fever for me and apparently for a few others, so I've got a very irritable throat. And uh, nevertheless, it's not going to stop me giving a Dhamma talk. And it's just something which we have to uh, embrace and actually use. It reminded me that just as my throat is very irritating and itchy, there is the, one of the favorite stories which Ajahn Chah used to say and uh, teach us, which is maybe going to form the heart of today's talk, and that was of the dog with the itch, the mangy dog. And that particular dog had this terrible, unenjoyable itch, at least that's how it regarded the itch on its body, and then went to many different places trying to overcome that itch. <coughs> from the village into the forest, from the forest into the water, from the water under the shade of a tree, out into the sunshine, under the rocks, on top of the rocks, wherever that dog went, the itch was never alleviated. And it was a wonderful story because there's something which every one of us you know, can relate to. I'm not talking about the itch in my throat. I'm talking about that itch in life. That itch, you know, which sometimes that we don't recognize as one of the most important parts of dukkha, of suffering. It's the itch which if you scratch it, it just gets more itchy. Just like I remember that once I had this disease, I brought it back from Thailand, ringworm, and it was so uh, wonderful, almost sensual to scratch that itch, but it hurt like hell afterwards. And <coughs> if you haven't had ringworm, it's a wonderful simile for sensory desire, and I encourage you to get it. <laughs> because it's so itchy, and you scratch it, you know, it's a really delicious pleasure. And it feels great until just afterwards and then you get the pain. And you can understand the simile there that sometimes that the sensory pleasures, and I'm not talking about the gross ones, even the refined ones, they give you pleasure at first, but as the Buddha said, that uh, this is like going into debt. You have to pay that pleasure back afterwards with the opposite of pleasure, which is suffering. And you usually, like you know, any loan you take out, you have to pay back more than you borrowed, you know, with interest. And so that itch which we have is sometimes we try and scratch it. 
and it just gets worse. Or we try and change our situation. Many people have come here because outside in the world it itched. They were in Santi Monastery and it itched, so they came here. They went to the nuns' monastery and it still itches, hopefully not as much. But whatever you do in life, sometimes, okay, that you realize that just moving from one place to another, you still get itchy. (coughs) So you try different practices. You decide to go on silent retreat. And those will be on silent retreat, you know, if you're working in the kitchen or in silent retreat, it still itches on a different part. And so you try different meditations, walking meditation, sitting meditation, it always itches, just like the dog trying different things to get rid of the itch. And of course, you know, that really relates, you know, to the sutta which we just chanted, the fire sermon. They say all these six senses and the object of these six senses and the feeling which comes from these six senses, a whole lot is itchy. They call it on fire. It's just a more intense form of itchiness. But each one of these are on fire. So straight away, if you understood that sutta which we just chanted, you realize that just moving from place to place, changing your meditation, practice, whatever you do, it's not going to stop the itch. (coughs) Because this is the nature of the six senses. It's the nature of the mind and the body to have this itch, this underlying sort of dukkha. And so what does the dog do? What do those fire ascetics do when they realize that basically you're stuck with this? So what they do is they, instead of running from place to place, they just sit down and stop moving. And this is one of the things which happen just once we realize what the problem is. Changing the place where you live, even changing the type of meditation, changing your practice, changing your food, changing (coughs) your body by getting it healthy when you're sick, it's not really going to help that much. It's always going to be itchy. And the nibida towards this is just realize this whole lot. It's its nature to be unsatisfactory, to be unpleasant. And to understand that in a very deep way, what the nibida means, which we kept on chanting, you know, nibidanti, nibidanti, That is actually when you realize that this is the whole purpose of trying to move from place to place to do something about the itch does not work. The real nibbida which you have is a nibbida towards the craving, the wanting, the ill will, the doing and controlling. That's where one really gets nibbida towards because that's something which you can do something about. It's the reaction which we have to the inevitable itch of life. It's the reaction which I have to the itch in my throat. To try and get rid of it, to get negative about it, 
or just to be with it and be calm with it. And of course, when you are calm with these irritations, my goodness, they get much less. The very fact, which I'm really amazed at, that I've been able to speak with hardly any coughs, I was going to start coughing now when I mention this, <laughs> is something which is quite amazing. It does remind me of the first time which I saw Venerable Tikwang Ba when I went to Canberra, and he was a very young monk then. Ajahn Jakaro was still the abbot, and as an invitation he sent me to Canberra to give some teachings. So it must have been at least maybe 25 years ago. And, you know, being silly, not really doing any research, and just, you know, maybe only recently coming over from Thailand, you had the impression that the whole of Australia was warm. And of course, Canberra is one of the coldest places in the country. And when I went there, it was you no know, minus something or other, and I didn't have proper clothing. So after a day or two, I caught a bad cold. And I remember very clearly uh, these people picking me up early in the morning to try and show me around. And they actually took me, you know, to Amajanyantra's monastery in Bandana, you know, ne right next door to um, uh, Watsanti. And they took me there for the day. And in those days, in that monastery, they were just so respectful, they would never let you go. They <coughs> would bow to you just as I was about to go, and say, oh, please wait along, we want to give you a gift. And they'd give me a gift and do something, then they start bowing again. And it went on forever. And so by the time I could get out of that place, they were very nice, but you know, not very sensitive, that not only did my cold was much worse, but it was really late. And just getting all the way back to Canberra, and I had a talk that night, and it was at Venal Tikwambar's temple. And when I got to there, I, my cold was terrible, sneezing and also coughing. And this was not imagination, there's all this guck which was dripping out of every orifice. Well, not everyone, but the ones, the ones at the top of my, above my neck. And you know what it's like when you've got bad cold. And I had to give a talk. And in those days I would have loved a cup of coffee, some three in one, or even just a cup of English tea. And I asked, what have you got? Green tea. And, okay, green tea is good for your health, but when you're exhausted and really uh, got a bad cold, you feel terrible and you've got to give a talk because it's been advertised and people are coming, that's not going to really do very much. And I do remember just you know, the terrible irritation of this cold and just trying to fight it to give a talk and failing completely and not being able to hold a train of thought because during the middle of the, sense, the sentence you would cough or you would sneeze. So there was so many interruptions, much more than, you know, than I've ever done before. And seeing that the talk was hopeless, after a quarter of an hour, I said, okay, let's meditate instead. And everyone was very happy because it was a hopeless talk. 
and after 30 minutes of meditation, then I gave my talk, without a sneeze, without a cough. And it was a wonderful experience, just to see what you can do to overcome the irritation of a cough, and a cold, and a runny nose. And all I did was actually stop. Stop running around, which is what the irritation wanted me to do. What the mange sort of tries to get the dog to do. Running around, trying to find an escape. Now that is not how the problem is solved. By stopping, by letting things be, by creating stillness, amazing things happen. You will find if you have mange and you stop running around, the mange gets less itchy. And that teaches you something. The main irritation which we have... <coughs> oh, I've blown it. <laughs> the main irritation you have, you know, is, of course, as the Buddha kept on saying, the mental reaction which we have to what we're experiencing in this present moment. The famous two arrows or two darts simile. Now there is the dart of the physical problem and there is the dart of the mental reaction. And it's always the mental reaction is the thing we can have some degree of power over. What we're experiencing right now, as I keep telling people, is a result of old karma. We're stuck with this. But how we react to it, what we do, as they say in, in poker, what we do, how we play the hand we dealt, that is totally up to us. And so that we have an irritation, we have uh, difficulties, we have problems, whether it's in our meditation or we have bliss in our meditation. The point is, how are we playing that hand? What are we doing with it? And this is where we learn how to stop with whatever we're experiencing. To literally, as I keep on saying, make peace, be kind, be gentle. I was saying to somebody today, in interview time, that the whole purpose of this right effort, you know, what we do in meditation, is learning how to stop, to cease, to let go of control, to stop running from place to place, to stop being like that mangy dog, to stay still, to stop and see what happens. And this is where you find the great truth of meditation of life. If you stop and be still, the problems start to vanish. The cold disappears. The itch alleviates. The tiredness vanishes. The restlessness gets still. Whatever hindrance, obstacle you have in your life, by stopping and becoming still, you find it disappears. This is why, you know, we had that book, The Art of Disappearing. It's a movement which causes the problems, <coughs> the way we react to things. 
And if we could only learn how to be still, to stop rather than keep on going, you'd have this great experience that whatever problem it is you're facing vanishes by itself. It passes, it's impermanent. As Ajahn Chah kept on telling me, you'd either get better or you'll die. You don't need to try and get healthy. It's a trying, the struggling, the striving is what causes the problems. And this is so important in one's meditation, as if the meditation is where, you know, we learn these techniques and then we transfer what works in meditation into our daily lives, into our body, into the way we run things, into the whole world. We try it in our meditation first. And it works so well in that, you can actually transfer that into your daily life. And it works in your daily life as well. (coughs) A lot of times, maybe you think I'm irresponsible when I don't act on things. But I know that uh, if you do act on things, a lot of times you make them worse. And sometimes the best strategy is just to sit down and stop. Just like that famous simile in opening the door of your heart of those British soldiers sitting down when they were surrounded by the Japanese soldiers about to die and instead of fighting their way out they were told to sit down and have a cup of tea. And by doing nothing things changed and they could escape. It's a very beautiful simile of how learning how to sit down and do nothing, to be still, is one of the great techniques which solves so many problems in people's lives. And it solves so many problems in your life, in your health, and also in your meditation. Some of you, middle of the retreat, you're not getting anywhere. Well, actually you are getting anywhere, you're getting more confused, more more stuffed up, not knowing what to do, and in terror there's another six weeks to go of this. And sometimes, what do you do? It is like, you know, you're surrounded by all the hindrances. You're surrounded by just, you know, suffering, sort of despair, sorrow, lamentation, well, maybe not crying yet, but... You know what I mean, that sometimes it gets very difficult when you're meditating and things aren't working. So what do you do when you're surrounded by the enemy? Stop trying to fight your way out. That is just like the, the dog with the itch trying to go somewhere else thinking the itch will disappear. No, sit down and do nothing. <coughs> it's a very difficult thing to do. I know people think they are lazy, but they're not lazy. You have to be a very advanced meditating monk to know what laziness means. People think they're lazy, but their mind is going all over the place. In Australia, they think they're lazy, they're watching the TV, they're eating, but you know they're not doing anything productive. That's why they call it lazy, but real laziness is actually not doing anything at all. Stopping, not fighting, not trying to get something, not trying to go somewhere, not trying to be anything or change anything. Stopping 
absolutely still. It takes a lot of trust at first, wisdom afterwards, to know that you don't need to run somewhere to get rid of that itch. You need to be still and then the itch vanishes. You need to stop. That word stop is one of the great descriptions of right effort. Stop. People always think that effort is going somewhere, striving to reach some goal. But stop is a beautiful word in English because it means you're not going anywhere. (coughs) All that movement, all that motion, all that agitation and disturbance, stop. And when you understand that word, and just not know it just as a word, but know where it points to. You can feel this whole thing called stopping. Now that is right effort. You can feel right effort. The effort to stop, to restrain, to give up, to let go, to renounce, to forego, not to move anymore. And it's not something you do. It's something which you experience when all the doing disappears. That is called stop. And when you stop, the irritation is still there, but it gets less every moment. And this is where you get one of the great insights of Dhamma. Phenomena disappear when you are still you have this nibida, which is not a negativity which means more movement, trying to escape. It's not the nibida which makes the dog. It itches and so wants to get rid of it by moving around. It's the nibida to all this controlling and want to get rid of things in the first place. It's a revulsion to movement, to control, to doing, to achieving. Once you have the revulsion towards that, you turn away from that. And then the only alternative is to stop and be still. It's very hard to get similes for these things. But when you experience this, you you get some idea of a simile. And a simile which I used a long time ago. It's imperfect, (coughs) but it's not bad like to stop on a journey is you've got, a lot of times people want to have a place to stop. And sometimes there is no place to stop. So it's like you're going on this journey and all there is is just this stone to sit on. But you know, and it's, it's not a flat stone and it's cold and it's hard and it's bumpy. But that's all you've got. That's this moment now. This moment is far from perfect. My throat is itchy. I'm tired. It's not the best time. But this is all I have. This moment. I'm going to sit down on this moment and stop. It is like sitting down on a cold, hard, lumpy piece of rock. But once you sat down on that cold rock, 
it starts to warm up. <coughs> so it starts to get more comfortable when you stop. The irritation gets less. The pain is not so much of a problem anymore. The whole suffering starts to disappear. Why? It's stillness makes things vanish. Activity just makes things grow. Life is doing, and the more we do, the more things grow in this world, which is the problem. We can only stop doing things. I think it was Pascal, as I wrote in the opening the door of your heart, this French philosopher and mathematician, Louis Pascal, he wrote, all the problems of mankind come from not knowing how to sit still. Of course, he never said that because he spoke French. I said it in English, but someone can translate that later on. <coughs> but that was basically what he said. And I remember reading that and writing it down because that made so much sense. That was Buddhist. That was meditation. I don't know where he got that from, but that is so powerful. All the problems coming from not knowing how to sit still. And so to sit still and to stop and just to be on that cold, hard bench, it soon gets warm. And like I keep on my standard jokes for people who come to the monastery, this is why you sit on the floor, because all these Westerners sitting on the floor like they did today, fidgeting around, then they polish the wood for free. That's why... <coughs> Buddhist temples, especially go to those old Buddhist temples, they always have highly polished floors. And you know why. Hundreds of years of people with their fat bottoms sitting down and fidgeting. That's how they get very smooth. <laughs> and that's pretty much the same. When you sit on this cold stone, it starts to get warm and it starts to get smooth. And it starts to get soft. And this is what it feels like. You sit down, I sit down with my irritating throat, with my painful body, with whatever it is. It's cold, it's hot, you're hungry, you're <coughs> thirsty. It starts off like that. But if you can sit still, it changes. This is its nature. The stone bench gets warm, it gets smooth, it gets soft, and it gets incredibly comfortable after a while. Until it's just like the, the most softest of sofas, you know, with cotton cushions and everything else. And that's what it feels like. And that's the closest simile I can get to what happens when you stop. And you don't fight the itch. You don't run away from it. You stop and stand your ground. Now all one really needs to do is just to get that first experience of sitting down with something which is maybe unpleasant, maybe irritating, just like a restless mind, a crazy mind, a tired mind, <coughs> a sick body, whatever it is which is unpleasant, just sitting with it for a little while and noticing if you're still the difficulty, the mange, the itch gets less. And that should give you some insight.
And this is important insight, not just in philosophy, but how to have peace in your body and peace in your mind. This is important stuff. It's not about being able to impress your friends with your knowledge of Buddhism. This is about things which is your peace and happiness and well-being. <laughs> you start to realize that when you just leave things alone and still, things get better. And that encourages you to go a little bit further. As I was saying at Jhana Grove today, when people were talking, asking me about the hindrance of doubt, and I was mentioning my simile of being lost in the mist in the mountains, and the only way to escape that dangerous situation was to find some water which went down and uh, follow that creek until I was under the clouds, under the mist, and could find my way home. That's pretty much what I mean. If you stop and become still, the itch gets less. You're going in the right direction. This again is not theory, this is your experience. You're aware enough to know the restlessness, the lust, the fantasies, <coughs> the tiredness, the distress, whatever it is, whatever form of suffering of dukkha, you sit still, gets less and less. You're going in the right direction. That gives you faith, sadar. This is the direction I'm going to explore. And you keep doing this. Now this means that you are cultivating that stillness. You're learning how it happens. Not because you think, Ajahn Brahm said stillness is the way, so now I'm going to be still. You're learning because a tiny bit of stillness creates a sense of freedom. The stone bench gets softer and warmer. It's working. And that will encourage you, whether you like it or not, no matter what theories you have, the experience is undeniable and it's the experience which is the foundation of insight which will change you. Not your thoughts and concept, but the experience. It works. And that will encourage you to not move. You have restlessness, you stand your ground. You sit down instead of going places. You're sick, you don't try and get rid of it. You're with the sickness. You have tiredness. You don't try and get rid of it. You're with the sloth, the torpor. You're still with it. It's such a beautiful practice because, my goodness, it works. And you can start anywhere. Anywhere with fevers, with old age, with the pain of death when that happens to you. If you're in some sort of accident, some collision in a car or aircraft, you've got some bad disease and you're on your deathbed, you're struggling to breathe, fighting for every breath, don't fight. See if you can just do nothing. Be still. See what happens. You find the irritation gets a slight bit less. That encourages you to be a bit more still.
and what was unbearable, the hardest, the spikiest, the coldest of stone benches, becomes very comfortable. And once this does become comfortable, it becomes so easy to go that further bit of stillness, to allow even that to vanish and disappear. It's that first bit of stillness, that first bit of letting go, which is always the hardest. That's why I keep on saying there's tipping points in meditation. The time when you know you get some pity sukha, some happiness in the meditation, You're sitting there and it's just so nice. Please, when that happens, always at the end of the meditation, reflect back why that happened. Don't let the opportunity pass you by for learning. <coughs> Something has worked. There's a beautiful feeling there. Please find out why. Because when you look back and find out what you've done, you'll find out, I didn't do anything. Great, you stopped. You weren't struggling anymore. A lot of times we get nibida towards all this struggling. Great, that's what you're supposed to do. It really sucks to have to keep on working so hard. And you work hard in the kitchen and then you have to work hard keeping your body clean and healthy and then you have to work hard at meditation. Just some of you even have to work hard at sleeping. People can't even sleep sometimes. It's just such a struggle, this life. Why do you do that? Can't you just sit there without, <coughs> without any wanting? And let the mind become still. Don't fight anymore. And then you find everything becomes so beautiful and peaceful. You get to that tipping point. And once you got to that tipping point, you get some piti sukha coming up in meditation and in your life. Don't throw it away. Just take that stone bench and make it into the most softest of cushions. Totally soft. Go further. If stillness and stopping have worked so far, don't, you know, when the, the dog has got rid of 90% of its mange, then go running around. The mange will come back again. Stay there, sit and enjoy. It's a tough thing to do that. Most, so many people, they get rid of a little sickness and then they just go off and forget about looking after their health again. So many people get rid of a few hindrances and they have a nice meditation and then what do they do? <laughs> Go doing things again. That's why your meditation fails. You have one good experience and it doesn't come back again. Just when you have a good experience, be still. Don't move. Stay there. And after a while you just learn just how to stop and be still. Right effort not to move. Be still. Things vanish. Pleasure comes up. And all the irritations of mange vanish. And of course you know where that comes from. Stillness, as I said last week, samadhi. Samadhi mago asamadhi kumago. Teachings, it's in the Anguttara somewhere. <coughs> Stillness is the path. The maga, the path. No stillness, or rather the absence of stillness. That's when you start doing things, 
reacting, running around like the dog with mange. The lack of stillness is no path at all. It's a wrong path. You're not getting anywhere. You get more lost. And that should overcome your doubts about what we're doing here. And also it means that you can be in your hut still, you're not rushing around, not doing too much. And you become a real monk. A monk who disappears. The hermit. The still person. The person who just vanishes. That's why <coughs> real monks, the best monks in this monastery, are the ones you hardly notice are here. You hardly ever see them. They're so still. They vanish. So that's your aspiration. See how still you can be. See if you can vanish. And not only the irritations in your body, the irritations in life, the problems in meditation can vanish. When things vanish, you get closer and closer to freedom, to vimuti. Vimuti is liberation. If you're free, the prison bars are gone. The walls dissolve. You're not in prison anymore. You're totally free. So you can imagine that happening. You don't actually have to climb over the walls of prison. You can never do that. The walls are too high. You can never dig a tunnel to escape from prison. <coughs> the ground is too hard. What you do, you're still. And the prison vanishes. The walls melt. You all know that we make our own prisons. And so because we make them, when we stop constructing things, we stop doing things, then all those walls and those bars they dissolve, they vanish. We made them, we constructed them, we put them there. So how do we unput them there? Because we're still. And their causes, what supports them is taken away. And the prison in which we've lived for so long is no longer there anymore. This is actually how freedom happens. We don't do anything, we don't escape, we don't climb over the walls. We are still and the walls vanish. There's not a prison anymore. This is the path. So don't be like the mangy dog. Sit still. Get some faith, get some experience. And then you'll find all the problems vanish by themselves. It's true, it happens. This is how it works. So that's a Dhamma talk for tonight. I am now going to be still. Goodbye. See you in a fortnight.
Satipano, Satipano, 